So today I want to pick up basically back where we start, where we left off before the holidays. We were in the book of Matthew, and Matthew chapter 7. And, you know, as we are beginning now 2022, I am more convinced than ever that we are in the last days. I am just convinced that when I read Bible prophecy and listen to teachers and prophets and look at what God has laid out for us, I think we can be very confident that the times are short. Therefore, we need to be very intentional about what we do, about what we say. And so I'm praying that our church services are that. Um, I'm praying that everything we do has a purpose. Our purpose is to glorify Jesus, first of all. And then secondly, our purpose is to continue to teach the foundational truths of God's words. And that's what we're going to do today. So um, as we look at Matthew chapter 7 today, I want to jump ahead briefly to a a, a few passages uh, just ahead of where we're going to be uh, talking about today because I want you to know why we're teaching what we're teaching today. Um, Matthew 7, chapter 20, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says this, it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So what we're doing now is that we, we are building that foundation. We are speaking about the truth of God so that we can be that wise man. And we need to know what the words of Jesus are that we're building upon. So as we go through this Sunday and next Sunday and until we get to that passage, we're going to be building the foundation so that when the storms of life come, which they will come, that our house will be built on a solid rock. Amen? Are you interested in that? Good, because I am. <laughs> and since I'm the preacher, <laughs> that's where we're going to go. So smile. It's all good. So today, our text really today is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And we're going to say some things. We're going to get into some things today that are, kind of, that are going to be kind of hard. Because this is the foundational teaching. When you dig a foundation, sometimes you've got to dig through some hard stuff. You've got you to work to get through the crust to get down to the bedrock, right? So that's what we're talking about today. And Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says these words. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you today, help us to understand what this truly means. Help us to understand false prophets and what they say. Help us to understand the truth of your word and help us to choose truth as we go through this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus makes this emphatic statement up front. He says, watch out for false prophets. False prophets. What's he saying here? What's he meaning? What's, who's he talking about? You know, I, I think in the world that we're living in right now, I think we are, in, we are just overrun with falsehood. There are so many lies that are being spoken to us today. In, in lots of fronts, 
And the false teaching is prevalent as well. So I think we are very wise to look at what does it mean to watch out for false prophets and things of that nature. We have to be very careful what we watch and what we believe on TV. What we believe, what media channels are you watching and so forth. And we have to do our own research in many ways to to dig into the real truth so that we're not just filled with lies and believing the propaganda of the world. And I could make this a real political talk and I'm not going to. But I know that deception is rampant more than ever. And therefore, we need to be able to see truth in the midst of falsehood. So what is a false prophet from a biblical perspective? A false prophet is a person who spreads and teaches false messages or false teachings, claiming to speak for God, or false prophets can also speak on the behalf of false gods. And I want to focus today on something that's a little bit different today because I want to focus on the false gods that false prophets speak about. I think we're all very much aware of how people can distort and twist God's word and make it say whatever they want to say. They can, you know, take little quippets and they can take it out of context. And certainly they can, you know, make all kinds of false teachings and you know, I'm, I, I, I don't want to name all of them, but there are a number of false teachings out there that are not true to God's word. So I think we're aware of that. But I think something that we're not so much aware of sometimes are the false gods that these false prophets teach about. And I think I want to make it a little bit more personal today because I want to talk about false gods. Because until we understand what false gods are, we really can't even begin to understand or identify false prophets. Until we understand and identify the false gods, then this teaching really doesn't mean a whole lot because we really don't understand what the false prophets are talking about. So what are false gods? You see, in Jesus' day, they were easy to identify. There were 40-plus false gods in the culture of that day, Greek mythology and so forth. There were gods that were named Baal and Moloch, and Ashtoreth, and Chemish, and Artemis, and there was a bunch of other ones. I can't name them all. I can't even pronounce them, let alone name them. So there were, and it wasn't uncommon. That it, Jesus was talking uh, in a language that these people knew. When he's talked about false religions, and false prophets, and false gods, these people knew exactly what he was referring to. So for us today, in our world, this may sound like an outdated teaching, it may not seem relevant to us because, Mike, we don't have Baal anymore. We don't have Moloch. We don't have these gods that were named in the Old Testament. So this really doesn't mean anything. So why do you, what are we talking about? False gods. Well, I think if Jesus were here today, I think he would say something like this. I, would think, I think he would say, don't be fooled. Just because you don't name them as such in the Old Testament... False gods are very much present in your society today. They're very much real today. False gods are just as real today as they were then. We just name them differently. In fact, many things that are near and dear to our hearts that we think are good can very easily cross the line into 
falsehood and false godliness. So if we're not careful, we can find ourselves worshiping something that shouldn't be worshiped. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I, are you tracking with me so far? What is a false god? False gods are dangerous because by definition, anything that we place other than God, our trust, becomes a false god. What we place our trust in ultimately begins the God, be, becomes the God that we serve. We're created to worship something. We, just, we desire to worship something. Whether you realize it or not, we, we're created to worship. And if we're not careful, we can worship the wrong thing. And if we're worshiping the wrong thing, it becomes a false God. The difference between a false God and the real God is that God delivers on his promises. Amen? God delivers on the promises of his word. But a false God cannot give what they don't have. And so false gods may make a lot of claims, a lot of promises to us, but they can't deliver. And if they can't deliver, then it leaves us frustrated. And it leaves us hopeless. And it leaves us confused and broken and in a worse position later than we were before. The Bible says that the God of the Bible is the creator He's the creator. That's what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. God the creator, what creation is. God created the world and everything in it. And he's also a God of love. And he has the power to create and the power to sustain and the power to make good on every promise that he makes. That's why we can serve him. That's why we can worship him with all out of unabandonment. But a false God of this world, they promise something they don't have the ability to give. They're easy to follow. A false God is easy to follow because they don't make much claim on you. They don't make it hard to follow a false God. But they can't deliver. You end up with a lot of unfulfilled and empty promises that, that create huge problems and other consequences in your life when you place your faith on something that can't deliver. And here's something... The about uh, interesting about false gods is that every god requires something of you, and the more gods that you have, the more things you have to bow down to, the more complicated your life becomes, because you have the more gods that get involved in your life, the more um, barriers you have to cross over, the more hoops you have to jump through in many cases. So we can get real complicated in our life if we're not careful. So I want to look at some of the gods today that maybe we don't consider them gods. But everything I'm going to talk about here today is morally neutral. I'm not speaking about anything that is outright sin. Everything that I'm talking about here, you're going to look at that and say, wait, how do you consider that a god, Mike? And as we work through this, I pray that you can see where I'm going. That it's not the thing itself that's wrong. It's maybe how we, what effort or what priority we place on that thing, whatever it is that makes it wrong, it makes it a false God. And these are the things that the false prophets speak of in our life today. 
So let's, let's start naming some. Number one is education. Education. Now, how can education be a false god? It's been said that the reason that we have as much crime that we have in our society is because we lack proper education. So if we were to educate more people, and if people would become more educated, we would have a better world. And so we put a lot of emphasis on education. We, we spend billions of dollars. People go into great debt in college to get educated. And they place a lot of emphasis on college education. Only to find that when you get in college, most colleges are very liberally left. And so if you have a Christian perspective, you go there and you got to battle greatly just to stay in the middle, let alone not go to the left. And so education becomes a real problem area sometimes for people because it's offering a promise that it can't deliver because just because you might get educated, it doesn't solve the problems of life. But yet we can make it that godlike characteristic that because you're, you're not doing well because you're not educated. And it can become a real God thing in our life. And so we can spend a lot of money chasing that false God of education because it's, it says it's going to answer the problems of life. And we know that that doesn't always work. And I'm not against education. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against it. Remember, everything I'm talking about is morally neutral. It's just how do we place it? What prior do we, do we place on it? Another thing that becomes a false God is beauty. Beauty. Our desire to be beautiful. We naturally are attracted to beautiful people. I mean, our eye goes to the, peop- to the person that's the prettiest. That's why you're all looking at me. <laughs> or is it just because I'm standing in the front? I'm not sure, so... But anyway, we just naturally look toward the pretty person. And there's nothing wrong with noticing a pretty person. There's nothing sinful about noticing a pretty person, is there? But where is beauty really at? Is beauty on the outside? Or can be beauty a little bit deeper than what the skin might show? Did anybody watch the movie Shallow Hell? <laughs> Kind of a funny movie, isn't it? But there's so much truth there because Shallow Hal says, I'm only going to be attracted to you if you're beautiful or if you can offer me something. But that, that chase for beauty, I mean, man, if you watch TV, what, how many advertisements are about the beauty creams? You know, get rid of the wrinkles, ladies or men. Get rid of the wrinkles and look beautiful again And because you're not beautiful if you have wrinkles. Nonsense. You're beautiful with wrinkles. <laughs> We're beautiful the way we are. But, but, but when we chase beauty, we become making, we're making that a God in our life. Proverbs chapter 31 says, verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. I mean, if we're just looking for the beautifulness of being youthful, then you're going to be disappointed when you become anything over 50 or 60 or my age, whatever that age. And so we're all different on that one. But let me just tell you that beauty is, is, not, is, is not skin deep. Beauty is just, it's just fleeting. And it's, it's God-like and it's in a way that it attracts people, but it's a false God. You're not going to be loved more if you're more beautiful. So don't believe that lie of the enemy. Another God-like thing in our lives can be comfort or pleasure 
or recreation or retirement. I, I, I couldn't come up with one big word here, so I had to say them all. <laughs> but we, we, when we chase things like this, comfort and pleasure and recreation and retirement, these are all good things. I'm not against any of them. But when I get unbalanced with these, they become gods in my life. The reason that we work really hard is so we can relax and enjoy the weekend, right? Nothing's wrong with enjoying the weekend. People love their weekends or their vacations. It's a time to relax and be comfortable. Some people say, you know what, if I can only retire, then I'm going to be happy. If I can only get through my work life and I retire, then I'll do what I really want and that's, I'll be happy then. So they spend all their time focusing on retirement and they're, they're, they're stretched for that. You know, people buy nice things. They buy nice boats or cottages, and all of a sudden those cottages and those boats and those motorhomes and whatever, those golf clubs. Let me talk about the things that I deal with, okay? My golf clubs, whatever, you know? I mean, they become my desire, and if I don't, be, if I don't watch that, it can become really dangerous, and it can become mini-gods in us. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5, there's a lot of words here, but read along with me. It says, you should know this, Timothy. This is Paul speaking. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, which we're living in, there will be, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. We're going to get to that one. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving, they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride. And here it is. And they will love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. So do you see how easily the pursuit of comfort and pleasure and recreation and retirement can become a false god. How easily that becomes the thing that we pursue at the expense of really focusing in on the true God. Another one that's close to this is sports and entertainment. This can be either a sports that you play or a sport that you watch. I know many people Typically men, I will say that typically men are given to the sports god. That they are just addicted to their favorite college team or their professional team, whether it's basketball, football, or baseball, or curling. <laughs> I don't care what it is. But we can be addicted to a crazy sport that all of a sudden that becomes our source of pleasure. If my team loses that weekend, I'm bummed. I mean, not just bummed, I'm, I'm distraught over it. How, how much money is spent on gambling on sport teams? Think about it. I mean, it's not even just, you don't have to go outside of your house anymore. You can do it in the comfort of your own home through your, on, your, on your smart tablet or your phone. It becomes a real addiction. It becomes a real guide to many people. And a lot of, again, typically men, they live in their past in their days of glory, when I was a great athlete, man, I was good. You should have seen me run. You know, all that good stuff, right? And they live. That becomes their, it becomes their identity. It becomes their God. Entertainment can be the same way. I mean, think about what you watch on TV and the movies you watch. 
and the stars that are made through the entertainment industry. We want to be like, you name it, whoever your goal, whoever your idol is. I, I want to be like Tiger Woods, okay? I want, I, I want to, you know, be like whoever that athlete is that you worship. Because we can, if we're not careful, we can be worshiping people. We can be worshiping sports. Remember, again, the definition here of a false god is anything that takes the place of God. Anything that we place our trust in other than God becomes a false god. Again, sports are neutral. I, I, you know, I, I will just tell on myself, I, I have to be honest, I was addicted to golf when I was younger. When I was living in the Detroit area, working in the automotive industry, I, I didn't start playing golf until I was 25, but when I got into it, I really got into it. And it was very damaging to me and to my home. And it really became an addiction to me that when I would, on a beautiful day, if I drove by a golf course, I, I mean, I would feel in my gut that I was almost physically ill that I couldn't play. I mean, that's kind of like a golfaholic, right? That's kind of what alcoholics feel sometimes. And I was addicted to that. And, and thank the Lord that when I came up here in 2005 to start a business with my dad, I was delivered from that addiction. I don't think I golfed for over three years. And I didn't want to. I mean, it was just like the switch turned off. And I was totally delivered from that. And I, and I wasn't that I was really praying about it. It just happened, thank the Lord, because I had other more important things to do. But let me just tell you something, though. God doesn't keep things from you that you enjoy. Now he's given me the ability to get back into golf. Now I can play a golf game and I can really enjoy it now. And I'm not addicted to it anymore. I mean, I can drive by the Belvedere or all these other nice golf courses and I can look at those other guys playing and I'm thinking, man, enjoy the game, but I got something else to do and it doesn't bother me anymore. So God has given me the ability to enjoy what I enjoy, but not be addicted to it. Therefore, it's not a God to me as it used to be. You have other, maybe you have examples you can think of in your life. But just because God says no to you in a certain season of, season of life doesn't mean that he's a bad God. And it doesn't mean that he's angry. And it doesn't mean that he's not going to give it back to you maybe later in a way that you can enjoy it and not become a false God. All right, the next one you're really going to struggle with here for a minute. And that's family. Family. How can family be a false God? I mean, aren't we, aren't we told to love our family and put everything, uh, put our families above all things in our life? Yeah, that's what we're told. And that's not wrong. Again, everything is neutral here until it gets out of whack. Think of the promises that a happy family offers. You know, when I was single, maybe you're single, whatever, you know, the, 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 the lure of, man, if I could just find that perfect wife, if I could find that perfect husband, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be fulfilled. Or if my kids were perfect, if I could just have those perfect kids, if I could have that perfect family dynamic, then I'd be fulfilled and never have another problem in my life if my family was perfect. And those things are all good. I'm not saying anything bad about them. But what happens when the first time that the wife or the husband that you married disappoints you? What happens when you've, if you've put them on a pedestal and all of a sudden they can't perform to the way that you've made them godlike and they let you down. What happens to your world? It can rock you, can't it? 
What happens if your kids aren't what they, they don't turn out to be what you want? We just prayed for our children today. What happens if our kids aren't what we think they should be? How it can rock our world. See, families are dynamics can be very complicated at times. And if you're making your relationships in your family the most important thing in your life, you'll be on a roller coaster of up and down, sideways, upside down. You won't know which way's up some days because your family's out of whack. Your wife lets you down. Your child doesn't what they want them to be. All these different reasons. And we can make family in the pursuit of a perfect family to be a God, a false God that only brings disappointment in the end and brings great pain and misery. Family, listen to me, family is a gift from God. But it is never God. Don't ever place your family over God because you'll be disappointed. That's not the way it was intended to be. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. This is Jesus speaking. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you must, not you should, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, what is Jesus talking about? We're supposed to hate people? Is that what we're supposed to do all of a sudden? I thought God is a God of love. I thought we're to love people. Yeah, Jesus isn't saying that we're to hate people. He's saying it by comparison. The big word is comparison. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else but love me. So if we don't put that in proper perspective, we can lose the perspective or you can lose the priority of God in comparison to our family. Um, Let me give you an example. Growing up in the Assemblies of God Church, we were very... And probably most, a lot of other churches were too at this time. I mean, I think 20, 30 years ago. Remember, we had Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service, um, Christ ambassadors, youth youth services. I mean, we were in church a lot, and um, as a result, you know, we had a lot of um, legalism maybe around that. But let me speak to the point. The point is that it wasn't long after that, I don't remember exactly when it started, but people started to say, you know what, I need more family time. So therefore, instead of coming to church on Sunday nights, let's just have this family night. And we'll take church and we'll put that aside and then we're just going to be with our family. And it sounded so good. And so we started to do that. So we would stand, we would have family nights and, and it was it was beginning the, the slippery slope of putting the family in front of God. And I'm not saying that, that church is God either, because we're going to get to that in a minute. But I am saying that we use the excuse of family being more important of God. So therefore, instead of coming to church on Sunday, we were just going to stay home and be family. Well, that might have worked for a while, but how long then did we stop having family nights and everybody was doing everything else? You know, I mean, kids are doing this, and Pam, Pam and Dad were doing that, and, and it really never really began family time. It just was the excuse of family over God, over meeting together. 
In fact, for a long, for a long time, while when we, before we, I mean, I felt really guilty not coming to church on Sunday nights for a long time because it was really ingrained in me as a, as a good churchman to be in church on Sunday nights. And again, I'm not against family, and I'm not against family time. I think it's very important that we spend time with our family. Let's just not make them the God of our life. The next thing I think that we can see is religion. Religion can be a false God. Because let me, let me say this. Religion and God are not the same thing. Religion and serving God are not the same thing. I can be very religious over lots of things that have nothing to do with God. Amen? I mean, I was religious about my golf game. Had nothing to do with God. And maybe you were religious about some things in your life as well. Some people trust their religion more than their God. Some people will trust their being a good churchman. I just talked about church. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not misspeaking here. Because some people can make my time in church to be more important than my time with God. Because they're not the same thing, right? So I can be very, very religious. And I'm not against religion. However, I don't like to be, I don't, I don't like to be called a religious person from the perspective of that gives the connotation that my focus is on religion more than, more than God. I'd rather much be referred to as a man that has a relationship with Jesus. My focus is on my relationship with my Jesus, not my relationship with my God, or not my, on my religion of my God. Does it make sense? So a religion can be very important, but yet it can be totally void if God isn't in the middle of our relationship. You know, a religious person I think is one of the hardest people to reach for God. A, re- a person that is very religious has a hard time understanding they need God because they're so religious. I mean, they go to church every Sunday and they read their Bibles even and they give in the offering a little bit every so often, but that does not make a person a godly person. So religious people are sometimes the hardest people to get through because they're so focused on their religion that that is their God. Does that make sense? And again, I'm not saying having a commitment and a conviction to be in church is bad. I'm not saying that at all. It's just that don't let that become the God. Don't let that, don't let that be the thing that you think is going to get you into heaven is because you went to church every Sunday. But yet church is very important. I, I need to say that. Religious deception is the most powerful false god because the enemy absolutely loves it when you're religious. The enemy loves it when you go to church if that is your mini-god, if that's your false god. And he will not rock your world if you go to church. But he will rock your world if you start, getting a relation, if you start having a relationship with Jesus. That's a, different, that's a different world. And he'll do his best to rock that one. Another one I think is very popular in today's world, especially, is science. We're hearing more about follow the science than we ever had, especially in this age of COVID and nonsense. I mean, COVID. <laughs> science is being used as the solution. Just follow the science, and boy, they can make science say anything you want it to say anymore. 
you know, look at the evolution arguments. And that's why I'm really excited about our creation study. Because the creation study that we're going through on Wednesdays is going to talk about science. And it's going to prove the fact that God's creation is not evolution. And it's going to, de- and it's going to debunk it. And it's going to show you, it's going to give you something to tell people why you believe in God's creation story in six days, not over six million years. Science also has issues with gender issues. A lot of confusion about that. That science will say, well, obviously God made a mistake when you were born and he put you into a girl's body and really you're a boy. Well, nonsense. God created you. God created us male and female and he makes no mistakes. Science cannot overtake God. So don't let that become a problem. Don't let science become your false God that says, well, I can take scientifically an equation and make it different than God, or I can make it bigger than God. That's a, re- that's a lie. Science cannot fix all of our problems. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 18 and 20, it says, Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. Mankind cannot fix issues by trusting in science to give, the, to give them the ability to fix the messes that we're in. So for many, science becomes the false god, the one they chase after. Another one I think that's huge for us in our culture today is sex and sexual orientation issues. I mean, it wasn't that much, that many years ago when we couldn't even say the word S-E-X, especially in church. But how today it's such a misused word and how it's overly used and how it's overly popularized. I mean, you can't watch anything on TV today and not see sexual ads or sexual connotations everywhere. I mean, today's TV is R-rated. It wouldn't have been shown 30 years ago because you couldn't see a lady in her underwear. But now, you I mean, it was terrible. I mean, it's just totally changed. Or a man in his briefs. I'm just not saying ladies, but men in their briefs as well. So sexual issues dominate almost every area of our life today, from movies to music to video games, TV shows, advertising, It's just everywhere. Sex is a God for people. We're addicted to it in so many ways. Not only are we addicted to it, but it becomes a gender issue like we already talked about a little bit. That there's a huge issue over homosexuality and the desire for a same-sex relationship. And all of a sudden, we make that to be our identity rather than our identity in Christ that then helps us get through those confusion issues so instead of, instead of struggling with that and dealing with that, we make sexual issues, our gender issues, our God. That where our identity becomes in our sexuality, not in who we are in Christ. And all of a sudden we're confused and our society is upside down. And that's why we have the problems because they're making sexual gender issues a false God. Genesis chapter 127. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is no confusion 
with God when it comes to scientific gender issues and sexual orientation issues. And I'm sorry for those that struggle with this, but it's a, it's a, it's a curse of the fall like alcoholism is or other substance abuse issues are or other sin issues. Sexual sin is not a category of its own. Sin is sin. And we need to state it that way and we need to help people that have those issues. We don't need to beat them up and, and, and be afraid of them and to talk bad about them. No, we reach out to them to help them try to get over the issues that they have. It doesn't make any difference what the sin is, what the issue is, what the stronghold is. Another one that's a big one for us is money, careers, power, and control. Again, there was such a big category, I just couldn't make one big word, so let's just wrap them all together. Money is a big, big issue in our lives. It becomes a great, probably the biggest fault, God, is the love of money. The Bible's very clear about this. Again, money, careers are neutral. Nothing wrong with having a good career. Nothing wrong with having money. Nothing wrong with having power. Nothing wrong with control. It's okay. We need to stay in control. Nothing wrong with those. It's just that when we allow them to be the biggest factor in our lives, we're making them, we're putting them in a pedestal. We're putting them above God. We're making, we're giving them the place of God and they're becoming a, a false God. First Timothy chapter six, for the love of money is a root of all evil. All kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Is it the money or is it the love of? It's not the money, guys. It's your attitude towards the money. Who owns the money? What are you supposed to do with the money? You know, you could have a lot of money and still be unhappy. Amen? Money is not the source of happiness. Or you can be poor and you can also be very happy. It's not how much you have, it's really what we do with it and what is our heart's intent about that. What about our careers? Yeah, we put a lot of effort, a lot of focus on our careers. I, I so much appreciate, I'm going to say the words, I so much appreciate a woman that loves to stay home with their children, if they can. I love a homemaker, a woman that will dedicate her life to raising her children. I think that is the greatest job, a greatest career a woman can have. To focus on your children. You raise your children, not the babysitter. Now, I know sometimes we get into a situation where, where we can't, but this is where I would, I would offer guidance and counsel to every young couple that's getting married is to try your best to live on one income so that when you have children, you're not tied to that second income so that you can't afford not to work. Plan your life. Budget your life. Make a commitment up front, moms, if you can, to stay home with your children. That is a great career. Don't let the world tell you that that's less. It's the greatest thing you can do is to raise your children. 
That's a great career to have. You know, the issue of power and control, obviously they all come with that, right? The more money I have, the more power I have, the more control I have over my life to do the things that I want to do when I want to do them. Nobody's going to control me because I've got the money, I've got the power to control you. Boy, that's a battle. That's a God in our, in our lives, isn't it? Matthew chapter 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be, in, be enslaved to money. He doesn't say you can't serve God and have money. Read the words. You cannot, be, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That means, you're in, it means you're a servant to two different masters. You can have money and still serve God. So don't worry about that. Don't think that it's wrong to have money as long as you use it well, as long as you know you're a good steward of it. How do we do this? How do we live a life free from God's, from the, from the greed of the world? Well, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 5, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's putting God where he's supposed to be. God will never forsake you. He'll never leave you wanting of what you need if you trust in him. You may, not what you, you may not have what you want sometimes, but our wants and our needs are not the same, correct? I can want a lot of things, but I really don't need that. Let's not get confused. God will not leave you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you in your needs. If you're trusting him, as you're putting your faith in him, as you're tithing and doing the things you're supposed to do and you're loving him and you've got your priorities on him, you will have what you need. That's the promise of God's word. And he's good on his promises. Finally, the last thing and probably the biggest risk of becoming a false god is self. And this is one of the hardest false gods for us to deal with because we are complicated people. You're a complicated being. You have a lot of needs. You have a lot of emotions. You have a lot of things that make up your character. You have a past. You have a history. You have a future. You have lots of baggage. And we become very complicated in ourselves. See, we need to have a good self-image. You need to love yourself. You need to have a good ego. You need to look at the mirror and say, I love you. You need to do that. The Bible says if you don't love your neighbor as you love yourself, if you don't love your neighbor as you love yourself, we are to love yourselves. Don't think the enemy says that, no, you can't love yourself because the moment you stop loving yourself, you do bad things to yourself. So we need to have a good self-image. We need to have a good ego. But we have to be careful that it doesn't turn into narcissism. We have to be careful that it doesn't go over the, go over the line of, I'm going to have a good self-image of myself at the expense of somebody else that I place myself on an image or at a platform up here that I'm going to serve myself at the expense of my wife or my kids or my neighbor 
or my employer or my a fellow churchman. Narcissism is a big word. By definition, it is this. Narcissism is a self-centered person with a personality and a style characterized as having an excessive interest in one's physical appearance and an excessive preoccupation with one's own needs, often at the expense of others. The key words are excessive. Again, we are to have a good ego. We're to have a good self-image. But when they become excessive, all of a sudden we become self-centered, and it's all about me. The reason that we named this church Center Point Assembly in 2012 was because the Lord placed it on our heart that really center point is a question mark. Who is at the center of your life? If I'm at the center point of my life, then I'm going to be really honest with you. Then I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of Mike. If you're at the center point of your life, then you're not a Christian. You are a follower of put your name there. But when I place Jesus at the center point of my life, now I'm a follower of Christ. So center point really should have a question mark at the end. Who is at the center point of your life? Jackie, would you come please? You see, we need to have a healthy and a balanced interest. But to be honest, we have to admit that we're broken people, that we're broken, that we need help. And it's okay to admit the fact that you need help. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you shouldn't ask for help, especially men, especially young people, teenagers, women, girls that are struggling with your self-image. It's okay to ask for help. Humanity needs an intervention from outside ourselves. You cannot fix your own problems. We need help. And it's okay to admit it. You know, one of the worship songs we sang today was, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry that I've brought, I've, I've come, I've made it about me. I'm sorry for the agenda that I have. The only solution is Jesus Christ. The commentary that I read says, my fear is that people are turning to the wrong things for hope. They are trusting in false gods that cannot deliver them. In that sense, we are lost. We need help and deliverance by a force more powerful than we. God is our only hope. He alone is the real God of this universe. And the good news is that he loves us and can help us and has a plan for us. But that is of no use to us if we continue to ignore him. It goes on to say, thousands of years of human existence has proven that we are not on an evolutionary trajectory upward. We are on a never-ending cycle of chaos. The only way we will ever escape this mess is stop turning to the gods. Stop turning to the false gods that can do nothing but let us down. 
We must turn to the one and only true God who is our ever-present help in times of trouble and know that he has it all under control and will sort everything out in the end. Here's the caveat. If we invite him in. That's the key. He wants to come in. He wants to be your source. He wants to be the one and only true God in your life that will bring healing to you. No matter what your condition is, no matter what you struggle with, no matter what your situation is, my prayer is that, you, is that you'll allow him in. We've talked about a lot of things today. And probably not every one of those things were a false God to you. But maybe something of that was. Maybe some of those things were key to you. My prayer is that you will ask the Lord in, that you'll give him entrance into your life today. Whether you're here or watching online, it doesn't make any difference. God's there. God's in your presence. He's with you right now. I want to pray for you. And if you need help, it's okay to ask. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are sorry for our agenda. We are sorry for the way that we've made it all about us. And we come to you now recognizing our failures, recognizing our faults, recognizing many times that we've placed our emphasis on false gods of this world. But God, I pray that you forgive us for that. God, I pray that our hearts would be so entuned with you this morning that I pray, I invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in to bring a level of conviction into our lives. Conviction is a good thing because it still tells me that I'm alive. It still tells me that I have a hope. So God, I pray that your conviction would be pointed, specific today. Help us to know what areas we need to change in. Give us the wherewithal to do that, Father. And I pray, God, that you'd give us most of all a desire and a willingness and the need to ask for help because we're broken and we need you and we receive you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we close today, I'm going to ask you to stand up and we're going to sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing. If you want prayer, I'm here. And I'd be up here to stand and pray with you if you'd like to pray. Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you.
Lord, I pray that these words that we sang today are meaningful to our lives. As we sang the song, or as we listened to the song, I pray that those words should settle into our heart today. That we really could know what it means to ask you to be the center of our life. That we truly could invite you in. And Lord, I just pray that that would resonate with us as we go through our homes today and throughout this week. God, I pray that this message would come back to people and just remind them of the center point message, the center point issue of who really am, what God am I serving today, what God am I chasing today. Remind us of who you are. Let us always focus on you as the only true God in our life, that we would serve you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be blessed. If you need prayer, I'd be more than happy to pray.